I've told you through this series, it is so important when we come to times like this that we never take a spiritual question and try to answer it with human logic. That the authority is God's word in our life. It's not, you know, we can respect what other people say, but what matters to me is what did Jesus say? He is the authority. His word is the authority in our life, even when it's not politically correct. And so the the question, will I be judged, uh, is answered throughout Scripture. Let me just read you a couple of Scriptures. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to get there. Revelation chapter 20, Matthew chapter 25. So you can turn to Revelation chapter 20, put a finger there. Matthew 25, put a finger there. And those are the verses that we're going to be in predominantly this morning. And I'll meet you there in just a second. But a couple of verses is, Romans 14, 12 says this. So then, each one of us will give an account... Of himself to God. It's written to believers. Romans was written to a church. Romans was was written to believers. Another scripture out of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. And just as it, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that. And comes the judgment. I know this is stuff that none of us like to talk about. But when he asked the question will I be judged. It's a very sobering answer. And the answer is, yeah. Yeah. You see, Jesus continually talked about living this temporary life with eternity in mind. At best, you'll have 60 to 70 to 80 years on this earth. And Jesus continually says, understand, this world is passing by. This world is temporary. The problem is so many times that we get caught up in this world and we see this world is permanent. We see this world is, that's all there is. But Jesus kept trying to communicate this principle all through Scripture that you you view life and you understand that life is temporary. I, I, I worried about using that illustration again that you have 60 to 70, 80 years because I had a lady walk up to me in, in, in church last night in the pastor's reception line and she says, are you telling me I got 15 more years with my husband? <laughs> anyway, a little humor because there's, there's going to be very, very little humor from this point on. See, we live life with eternity in mind. What you do with Jesus Christ determines where you spend eternity. What you do for Jesus determines rewards in eternity. What you do with Jesus, did you reject him, did you accept him, determines where you and I will spend eternity. What would we do for him? How did we live our life? How did we steward the resources that he gave us? Time, talent, and treasures determines the rewards in heaven. You see, the Bible tells us that there's, there's two judgments. There's two different judgments, and that's why there's two chairs up here. One of the judgments is, is, is called the great white throne judgment. That will be this chair. That, we'll use this chair to signify that. Another judgment is this, is the judgment seat of Christ, or the Greek word is the bema. And so we're going to walk through these together. First, we're going to start out with this one, uh, the great white throne judgment, or what other places of Scripture, a lot of the New Testament writers re- re- refer to this one as the judgment of sin. And then this one is the great, uh, is, and this one 
is the judgment seat of Christ, is the, is the Bema seat. So first, let's start out with this one, the great white throne judgment. Here's what Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, and you know what? I'm going to read all the way through verse 15. And then I'm going to come back and explain this chair to you, explain this judgment to you so that we all get it and so that we all understand. And here's what the scripture says, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. So he's talking about the great white throne judgment and him who was seated on it, Jesus. So Jesus is seated. Jesus will be seated on the great white throne judgment, the judgment of sin. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. So there's multiple books. We'll under, there's two books. We'll understand that. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had, had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them. So there's an individual judgment here, according to, again, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, here we go, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the, into the lake of fire. So the Bible tells us, Revelation tells us, that Jesus will be sitting on this throne and that multiple people, in fact, is it will be an open-air judgment, is after the rapture, and so that all these people will be gathered in front of them. The question is, who are the people gathered in front of them? Right? Who comes to this one? Because the scripture says that, that Jesus has a, a book, the Lamb's book of life. And that he will stand up and people will give him an account and he will open the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible tells us that when we meet Christ, that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that they will be judged by their sins and what they had done. Now listen, I don't know your spiritual tradition, but I know my spiritual tradition. I was taught that believers and non-believers come to this one. Maybe many of you were taught that. And that we were taught that, that we're going to come to this one when he judges our sins. And that, that somehow, some way, that there's going to be like video cameras or what. And it's going to, it's going to explain your sin or talk about your sin. And that, and that some of you were taught maybe a little bit different than me. That depending on how you lived your life, that you're going to move on from there to purgatory. Or to someone else, somewhere else before you go to heaven. I was just taught in my tradition to be, to, to, in case you didn't feel guilty enough... That the day is going to come that Jesus is going to put up on the big screens, you know, and show you everything that you've ever done. You realize the scripture teaches that this is only for non-believers. See, as believers, when we die and when we go to heaven, we skip this chair. We go over there, and that is good news. Okay? That you missed a great time just to clap. That none of us go to this chair. That There you go. You know why? Because your sins have already been judged. 
See, when you meet Christ, when you accept Christ, Jesus was judged in your place. You don't go here. Your judgment came when you entered into a relationship with him, when you accepted him. You don't you skip this chair. And it's for the non-believers, those that have rejected Christ, those that said, you know what? I just need to be a good person. See, religion tells you this. Religion tells you you're okay. Don't worry about it. Christianity says you're lost. You need a savior. You cannot live a life perfect enough. You cannot live enough a life good enough. And so scripture says that Jesus will open up the book of life and people will or, uh, the lamb's book of life and people will come one at a time and he will look and he will say I don't see your name written in here. In heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. You see, when we go to heaven, we can say, we're not perfect. But I am forgiven. Christ makes me perfect. I have his righteousness. But see, for them, and this is so sobering, for them, they come here and he opens up the book and he says, I don't see your name in here, and heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. And they stand. And they give an account. Who can live a life? Who can say, I never had a bad thought. I never said a bad word. I never criticized anyone. I never hurt anyone. I never sinned. Who can say, I lived a life good enough to deserve heaven? And scripture says, another book is opened. And he lists out all the things that they had, had done. And in this chair, this chair becomes hell or Hades. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the reality of hell and would a loving God send someone to hell and all of those questions that maybe many of us have. It's because of this chair that we witness and we tell people about Christ because this chair awaits those who do not know him. But for the believer, we've already been judged. Jesus stood and took the judgment for us. So it's not for believers. I just, man, I just, I need you to get that because my burden is, is that some of you are believers and you're scared to death to meet God because he may bring up that divorce. He may bring up adultery. He may bring up gossip and the people that you judge, the people that you hurt. It's gone. It's gone. You and I, as believers, we should have no fear in seeing him face to face and in meeting him. So let's get this chair out of the equation.
Let's talk about believers. The Bible says that there's a judgment for believers, and we're going to understand that. It, it may be called different things and several different things in Scripture, the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word, I think, is easier for us to understand and get. It's, the, the Greek word is bima, or the bima seat. It was a common word that they used in their culture. It's a word that Paul used. The uh, fact is, it's... Uh, well, when they ran, when they ran uh, sporting events and games and what became the Olympics, they did it much different than us. So, like, we run the Olympics, and after every, every race, we, we reward the winner, right? We put the top three up there, gold, silver, bronze, and we reward them, put a reef, and, uh, and all that comes out of, out, out of the history of, of the Olympics. Not in their day. They ran the entire Olympics not knowing really who won or lost. And at the end of the games, all of the contestants, see, there were no losers. All of the contestants, all the participating, participants, and Paul said over and over in Scripture that this life is like a race. And how you run the race determines a lot in eternity. That we live life in view of eternity. And so at the Bema seat, in fact, is if you were to travel to Corinth today, the, the Bema seat is still there. It's this ginormous uh, chair that's just this stone, and it's in the center of the town. And so what would happen, the judge would sit on there, and he'd watch all of the participants run the race. And then at the end, all of the participants would come, and, it, and they would gather around the, the Bema seat. And it was a time for rewards and the victorious crowns. Mark 4.22 says this. Jesus was speaking. He says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So all the believers will be gathered around. It's an open-air judgment. It's an open-air reward ceremony, really and truly is what it, what it is. And then all the participants will gather around. Just like at a race. Those who ran hard, those who were disciplined, those who had trained, and then those who just barely got in. And Scripture says this reward system ceremony will take place. And you will be judged in front of carnal believers, in front of believers that just barely got in as if escaping the flames. Those who had never really trusted Christ with their resources, their finances, their money, they'd never really ever tithed. Church was just never really a priority to them. God was never a priority to them. And Scripture says there's four things that we will be held accountable for, and we're going to look at two this morning. And then there's about six crowns that we will receive, and we're going to look at that next week. We just, I wish we could go through the whole thing. But we will be judged in front of everyone. And they will begin handing out the rewards based upon what did you do with the resources that God gave you? What did you do with the talent God gave you? The treasure that God gave you? The resources that God gave you? And did you steward them well? See, this life is really about stewarding the resources that God gave us. You ever been in a award ceremony where it's school or college or maybe in an event you know maybe your profession and you see people start getting rewards and you're thinking 
I should have worked harder. I should have been more disciplined. I should have taken it more serious. So what's going to take place on that that day? You see, we're not going to be we're not going to be judged for our sins. That's already been taken care of. That happened when we met Christ. I mean, because the Bible tells us, Romans 8, 1, tells us that, that uh, there, therefore now there is no condemnation who, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Hebrews eight twelve tells us this, says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, their sins, and I will remember their sins no more. The Old Testament tells us that God says that I will take your sin and cast them as far as the east is from the west, and I will never look at them again or remember them no more, that I choose not to remember your sins. Why? Because of this, because Jesus has already been judged in our place. Your sins are forgiven. So do you think heaven is a place where God sits on the throne and says, Just kidding? I've got a list. I kept a list. You really believe that stuff? You think that's the... No. See, our sins, we don't have to have fear of meeting him. But yes, I need to tell you this morning that we will give an account for our lives and how we lived our lives. Fact is, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 10 through 15, Paul begins talking about this judgment and this accountability and what's going to take place. And he says, starting in verse 10, according to the grace God has given me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else building upon it. Let each one take care, so it's an individual responsibility, of how he builds. What are you building your life on? What foundation are you building? You building your life on hay and straw, which is temporal, which will burn away, which goes away? Are you living your life and you laying a foundation and you building your life on Christ that goes with you into eternity? Because Jesus kept saying, live this life in the view of eternity. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is which is Jesus Christ. So now he starts talking about this issue. The only foundation to live your life on, the only foundation that goes with you into eternity is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will manifest for the day and will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So Jesus will take, or at this point of our lives, all the, all the wood, all the hay, all the straw, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with wood, hay, straw. We need a little wood, hay, straw, right? We need a house to live in. We need cars to drive. We, we, we need food. We need some. All of that stuff is temporal. The problem is, is when that becomes your focus in life. The problem is, is when that becomes consuming of you. And that's all your life is, is on the temporal stuff, this stuff. And so what the Bible says is, is God will take all the wood, the hay, the straw, the the precious stones, the ones that can stand the test of the fire, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, put them all together, test them with fire. The temporal stuff, the stuff that burns away is gone. And the reward is what is left. The reward is what we built our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and, and, uh, and says... With fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will, he will receive a reward. So all the temporal stuff, gone. All the stuff that was all about you and all about us, gone. 
It's so easy in this world to begin looking at temporal stuff as permanent stuff. It's all wasting away. It's all going away. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. In other words, you can lose rewards. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So the Bible tells us now that we're constantly building our life on, on something. And it's, it's your choice. It's my choice how we steward this life. It's our choice what we build our life on. What are you building your life on right now? All the temporal stuff? Is the temporal stuff, that's your only focus? The wood, the hay, the straw? Have you been on this earth so long that the temporal stuff has become permanent stuff to you? Each one of us has a choice. What are we building our life on? Four things that we're going to be tested. We'll look at two today, two next week. And then we're going to start looking at the crowns after we've been tested. And Scripture says that we'll be tested over a lot of different stuff. We'll be tested over the words that we used, uh, tested over what we said about other people. Uh, and I put them in categories. The first one is this, is that you will be tested over spiritual slackness. How did you live your spiritual life? Was it even a priority to you? Was it something that you disciplined? Now, He writes in Hebrews, and he talks to leaders. He talks to spiritual leaders, but he talks to the church as well, and he talks to the church in other places. That's why the Scripture says, not every one of you should be a teacher. Not every one of you should be a pastor. Because there's a higher level of accountability for you than for those that didn't lead. Here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So he talks to to people in the church and he talks to the spiritual leaders all at the same time. He says to you, how do you submit to the authority that God has placed over you? Do you value the church? Do you value the local body? We live in a time where people are saying, you know what, this church membership stuff, I don't even believe that's biblical anymore. Can I tell you this? There's about 56 commands that I can find in the New Testament that you cannot fulfill without being a member of a local body. How did you submit to the authority? Did you care for a body? Did you love a body? Did you minister to people? Did you even know the people you go? How how can you love them? How can you pray for them? How can you encourage them? How can you support them? When there was a need, would you even share your resources? Would you even give out of your income to help somebody? If you see a need and you turn your head, how can you say that the love of the Father is in you? Every time we give here at Fellowship of the Rocky, we're spreading the gospel. Every time we give here at Fellowship of the Rockies, our whole focus is to keep people from having to come to this chair. But he says the same thing to spiritual leaders, that the day will come that I will give an account for how I stewarded ministry, for how I led this church. 
And through this series, I've received so many emails and phone calls and people stopping me in the halls and saying, wow, you're like the bravest pastor we know. You're talking about subjects that no other pastors are talking about because they don't want the criticism, they don't want the problems. We cannot believe. Listen, I don't look at it as being brave at all. I just look at it as being obedient to the Word. See, it doesn't, what you think about me, it may hurt, but it doesn't matter. Because I'm a preaching for the approval of one. And when I give an account, I want to be able to say, God, I preached the whole counsel of your word. I preached it all. I preached it all. And I don't want you going to heaven one day and saying, we were at Fellowship of the Rockies for 15 years. Our pastor never talked about any of this. If we had a known, we would have like stirred our life differently. We would have done things differently. We thought it was all about us. It was just those seeker-sensitive self-help, make-me-feel-good messages. I will give an account one day. Man, I'm learning this. If I will worry about the depth of my ministry, God will take care of the expansion of it. The expansion of it is not my concern. The depth of my ministry... Preaching the word is what I will be held accountable for. And you knowing the full counsel. And that's why he says not every one of you should be pastors. Not every one of you should be teachers. Because you've got to lead spiritually. And you've got to know who I am. And you've got to trust me. And you've got to believe the word. So, we will give an account for our spiritual slackness. Are you... Discipline, there, there, and I'm going to jump ahead. There is a crown, the disciples' crown. Those of you that life journal and dig into his word, there's a crown for you, but we'll get to that. The second, the last thing that we're going to deal with this morning is uh, spiritual stewardship. What did you do with the resources that God gave you? What did you do with the time, talent, treasure? Is, you know what? Was it just all about you? Jesus tells a story. In fact, is he talked on this subject almost more than any other subject. Jesus, when you go through, and it would just be a wonderful ac- exercise. We're life journaling now through the book of Luke. And, and just start keying out every time that Jesus talked with, with eternity in mind. You see, he taught them a lesson, but he was, he was pointing them towards eternity. And Jesus teaches a, 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 a message in, in Matthew chapter 25. And, and he just writes about this, or he talks about this. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted uh, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Talking about himself. Who had received the five talents went, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug, it, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he's talking about after the rapture now. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me the talents and I have made Uh, five more talents. His master said to him, and we love this phrase, but we forget about the context that it's written in. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
How'd you steward the resources that God gave you? How'd you steward your money? You've been faithful over, faithful over a little. I'll set you over months. There's a glimpse into heaven, and there's a promise. You steward well the resources God gives you now, he'll give you more. He never blesses a poor steward. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I've, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the, the, the joy of your master. And he also had received the one talent. Uh, the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's the reason a lot of people can't trust God with their money. They fear him. They don't see him as being just. They don't believe he'll really take care of them. So they hoard it and they keep it. That's the barrier. Master, I knew you were a hard man and reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. There's that word, fear. I didn't really think you'd take care of me. I didn't really think I could trust you. So I went and I hid your talent in the ground and here you have what, here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have, have invested my money with the bankers and, and at my coming I should have received what was my own plus interest. So that the talent from, so, so take the talent from him and give it to, to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, has will more be given and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so scripture teaches that we will give an account for how we handled the spiritual resource, the, the financial resources that God gave us. The reason that people have trouble giving is they have come to believe that the money is theirs. They no longer see it as God blessing them. They no longer see it as God asking them to properly steward the money that God has given him. And they believe it is there. See, money is meant to be used, not loved. See, the wood, the hay, the straw, not a bad deal. It's a bad deal when you fall in love with it. It's a bad deal when you build your life on that. That's when it becomes a bad deal. And I know when we talk about this, it kind of sounds like judgment. But it's much deeper than that. You're missing rewards for eternity. You are missing rewards in this life and the eternal life. See, that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 21, Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and, and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For watch this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You could take in your Bible and draw a line from treasure to heart. You want to know where your heart is? Where's your treasure? Why do you think our treasures capture us so well? And we care so much about our trucks, and we care so much about our boats, and we care so much about our toys. Because that's where our heart is, and we think about them, and we think how we can get them cleaner, we can get them better, and all this, because that's where our heart is. Because it's emotional, right? The reason that Jesus cared about money is this, because he knows that where your money is, that's where your heart is. 
Fact is, 1 Timothy chapter 6, don't even have time to talk about it. Timothy says, there have been people that wandered away from the faith because they wouldn't trust God with their money. And they fell in love with the temporal stuff. They fell in love with this world. And because of that, they wandered away from the faith. See, Jesus kept saying, live life with eternity in mind. See, financial advisors that that I know and I talk to them about investing says you you never invest for the short term. You invest for the long term, right? You never invest, especially now, for two years or three years or five years. You invest for the long term. You invest for 20 years. You invest for 30 years. Jesus gave great financial advice here. And Jesus says, you know what? Yes, you invest for the long term. But you don't invest for 20 or 30 years. You invest for 20 or 30 billion years. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. See, Jesus says the treasures aren't bad, it's just where you're investing them. The treasures aren't bad, it's just when they capture your attention, they capture your life. And that you can come to the point to where you have nothing to show for this life because you built this life on hay and wood and straw. Never trust in him. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You want to know where your heart is? Two things. Get your day timer out and your checkbook. Doesn't matter what you say that you love and doesn't matter what you say you care about and doesn't matter how much you say you love God and all these other things. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your resources? heart issue. We live this life in light of eternity. And I'm telling you, God will bless your socks off if you'll just trust him, not only with your resources, but with your life. This morning, I'm concerned about those that do not know him that may be headed for this chair my question to you is have you come to the place where you've accepted him for the forgiveness of your sin so that you can walk in newness of life and not the junk and the stuff of the past but that he wipes it away that is you this morning we invite you to accept him and ask him to come into your life and then maybe for those of us who are believers maybe this would be a time that you would examine your life in light of eternity And how are you living your life? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?